0: The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Recently, we've had a chance to speak with the directors of several of Netflix's Emmy-nominated documentaries. We talked to Andrew Rossi about the Andy Warhol Diaries. Cootie Simmons and Chike Oza told us about The Making of Genius, a Kanye trilogy. And most recently, Felicity Morris gave us the backstory to the Tinder swindler. Check out these conversations in our feed and watch these documentaries, now available on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, we're talking to Sarah Bernstein, producer of We Feed People, directed by Ron Howard. We Feed People had its world premiere at the 2022 South by Southwest Film Festival and has screened at festivals around the world. It's nominated for two Emmys, Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special, and Outstanding Cinematography. The film is currently available for streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu. Sarah Bernstein is co-president of Imagine Documentaries, where she leads the development and production of premium feature docs and non-scripted series, including Rebuilding Paradise and D. Wade, Life Unexpected. Prior to joining Imagine, Sarah was senior vice president of HBO Documentary Films. It was interesting to hear how the director Ron Howard's focus, as well as the approach, shifted over time. What started out as a verite film following the renowned chef Jose Andres and his food relief organization World Central Kitchen evolved into telling the history of the organization. And while the history of a nonprofit may not sound sexy, this is a dynamic path-breaking organization and its leader, Jose, is about as dramatic a central figure as you can find. So on the one hand, here's a guy with a personality bigger than life, a famous chef, an amazing organizer, but he's also not perfect. And he's the first to admit that. I think one of the film's achievements is that it both fills us with admiration and awe for this man, but also makes him very relatable because he's someone like us, who's constantly learning and adapting and trying to be better. Sarah and I also talked about World Central Kitchen's work in Ukraine since the Russian invasion in February. They've been doing life-saving work, feeding thousands and thousands of people in an active war zone, something the organization has never done before, and maybe no organization has ever done before. I thoroughly enjoy talking to Sarah about the film and hearing about the experience of bringing this story to life. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and do tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Twitter at TopDocsPod. And now my conversation with Sarah Bernstein, producer of We Feed People. Sarah Bernstein, welcome to Top Docs.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: First of all, Sarah, congratulations on We Feed People. It's a terrific film and Emmy nominated, justifiably so.
1: Thank you. Thank you. We're incredibly excited that the Academy of Television and our documentary peers gave us the honor of being nominated. And we're really quite thrilled for World Central Kitchen and Jose Andres because nominations for the film are really nominations for all the incredible work that they do. Can
0: you tell us how this project came together?
1: Our director, Ron Howard, had just finished a documentary that we did with Netgeo Films, documentary films who are also our partners on We Feed People called Rebuilding Paradise that looked at the just horrific campfire that devastated Paradise, California a few years ago. And as he was coming off of that project, we started thinking about what would be another project that could equally be an issue driven film something that kind of lived in the verite realm which i think he found really you know fascinating and interesting to work on as a director and it was his first verite project And we kept coming back to Jose Andres. And we had the incredible pleasure of being introduced to World Central Kitchen during Rebuilding Paradise because World Central Kitchen was on the ground during the campfire. They're often heading into different natural disaster locations and wildfires. Obviously, it becomes so much more prevalent. So we were familiar already with their work. And Ron had the pleasure of being introduced to him on a couple of occasions, and we kept coming back to, and Ron particularly, this idea of what they were doing. And was there something there that we could really access and make an audience understand? And through Ron's relationship with Jose, his persistence, and you know, Jose being obviously incredibly generous and gracious enough to let us in, we were able to, you know, (laughs) to chip away at gaining that access. But the one thing that was very important to Jose and also a theme that was incredibly important to Ron was this idea of volunteerism. For Jose, he never wanted a film or a documentary to really be about him. He really wanted a project to pay attention to all of the people who volunteer for World Central Kitchen and certainly the people who are impacted by World Central Kitchen. And I think for us and certainly for Ron, I think this idea of what motivates people to volunteer, what motivates somebody to to drop maybe their day job and go follow an organization like World Central Kitchen into a certain zone that maybe would be outside their comfort zone, literally. And in some cases, really dedicate their lives and careers to... It was important to... And I think for Ron, he really hoped that people who watch this film would be really inspired themselves and understand that one person can make a difference.
0: Yeah, I think you do a really good job in the film of showing us these volunteer stories and showing there's not a whole lot of difference between the staffers, the volunteers whether they're being paid or not, they all share in the mission. For each of them, it's personal.
1: Yes, it is. And in fact, we actually had some of our own team and my fellow producers on the film who were documenting following World Central Kitchen during COVID and at times, put down the cameras and started helping out, started carrying boxes. We joke, and certainly Ron, kids about it, because even say, what do you mean you didn't get that shot? And then we said, we were helping you. We just couldn't not help the organization. Obviously, Ron was kidding, but I think that is how infectious the mission is for people.
0: So you mentioned that you saw World Central Kitchen firsthand while you were making Rebuilding Paradise. When did you guys start shooting the film?
1: We started production right before COVID. And then during COVID, we pivoted quite a bit in terms of what the main focus of the film would be. And we never stopped production, but obviously there were challenges with getting our team on the ground with being able to follow jose in multiple locations during COVID, just because of all the restrictions that were then of course being put in place you know nationally globally in terms of travel and safety so we were able to fortunately look at what world central kitchen had filmed themselves over the past decade and we had an incredible editing team led by Andy Moriali, who really were able to sift through, I mean, literally probably over a thousand hours of footage and start thinking about this film in episodes and in evolution. And at the same time, we were able to document the COVID crisis. And you see that mostly, I would say, in the last third of the film and also conduct interviews with people who had been impacted with people who are part of the organization and Jose and his family as well. But it really forced us to look at what we had. What was the treasure trove that we were sitting on in terms of footage? And could there be a film here that wasn't just probably initially what we thought it would be, and certainly what Ron thought it would be, which would be like a true embed that we just parachute into a location with World Central Kitchen or stay embedded in their home base and see what comes up. I mean, we originally thought of the film in that respect, but because of the challenges that we faced as well as the world faced, and certainly most of film production faced, it made us think about, is there another story to tell about this organization? And I think the idea of charting A small organization's evolution into, like I said, a globally respected relief organization was fascinating and really fulfilling, I think, to ultimately put together for them.
0: I think you guys did a really great job of seamlessly incorporating different kinds of footage and different events. I can't tell what World Central Kitchen might have shot, what you guys shot in your original production. It all fits together seamlessly, as does the storytelling. I want to talk about the pre-title sequence, which I, I really loved. The sequence is shot during the flood in Wilmington, North Carolina in 2018. And the very first shot I think of the movie is of Jose kind of strutting across the screen And we hear him say, we not only feed people, we create systems, which Mm -hmm. is a very important point that is made and shown throughout the film. He cooks, he schleps boxes, he jumps on the back of a truck and streams live on his phone. All of these things he'll do over and over over the course of the next 90 minutes. Then he says, I'm so glad we have this truck. And then boom, (laughs) the truck hits a ditch or something, practically capsizes And then, again, more character development. Jose's first impulse is to ask about others, are you relaxed? So he's concerned about the other people. Then they all get rescued by another vehicle. And his first question to ask in that situation is, what about the food? Because he's always (laughs) asking about the food. And then the coup de grace is the quintessential Jose Andres moment. He lights up a cigar in the midst of all this catastrophe. Mm -hmm. So we learned so much in this opening sequence, which I think basically boils down to this guy's a force of nature, but he's not Jesus Christ because he cannot walk on water. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Literally. uh, Yes. I think if this film were a sumptuous meal, I'd say you've created the perfect tapas dish (laughs) with this opening sequence, but you could have started anywhere. You chose to start here in Wilmington 2018, Why start the film here? And what did you want to establish up front?
1: Well, look, I think you summed it up better than I could. I think we started in action. I think we started doing what Jose and World Central Kitchen do. And I think to your point, this may have been kind of a smaller ultimate segment in terms of these natural disasters that we focus on. But I think in terms of the dynamicism and frankly, information that you get in that scene about Jose himself, his personality, the mechanics of that organization, how they just go however they can. They don't really think about what could happen. They just know what they have to do. I think all of those elements are so perfectly presented to an audience but you're in action. You're not telling people it's not an interview. I mean, if this was a Ron Howard film, this is how I would open it, right? Like you would open it in the action or this is how Ron clearly wanted to open it. I think you open it in scene and and it's a real scene, which is all the more kind of incredible and impressive in terms of what World Central Kitchen does. We couldn't have scripted it better. And I think your point just the one last thing to that i think your point about he's not jesus christ he's not walking on water is a very important one too because i think it was very important to ron and certainly to all of us and i think especially to jose that we're not presenting this person who could be deified who could be just kind of presented as you know he can help and he can save people But we have to remember he's also a human being. And it's not easy to leave your family in D.C. or in Spain, wherever they might be, and go around the world and be gone for weeks at a time, in some cases, months at a time. Um, He's not perfect. You see at other moments in the film where he has moments of you know, where he's maybe losing his temper a little bit. And he did not, to Jose's credit, he did not shy away from allowing us or there was no approval, obviously, ultimately, that he had over the project as we like to preserve, you know, with documentaries in terms of journalistic integrity, if you will. However, you want your subject to be happy and feel satisfied with the film at the end of the day. And he did not say a word about that. I think he realizes it was really important to to show warts and all. And I think it's what really humanizes him.
0: Another thing that I think humanizes Jose is his willingness and his eagerness to learn. So he's not a fully formed yeah. relief expert.
1: Or even chef, for that matter. I, I, yeah, I think what is most remarkable, I think, about Jose's philosophy and World Central Kitchen's philosophy is this idea of comfort food. I mean, they came in and started cooking real food for people. Before that, as you see in the film, mostly relief organizations like the Red Cross would provide what's called MREs to people, which are meals ready to eat, which, you know, an MRE, it sounds like something you would walk over, not something that you would put in your mouth. So I think this idea of being able to serve people who are in desperate need of Certainly shelter, water in many cases, and food, but also comfort. And to be able to go in someplace and realize, and you see this in the film, Jose's not cooking the beans the way that the local community would prepare them. And he doesn't try to say, wait, I'm Jose. He has a funny way of describing it in our film, where at first he's like, "What do you, I'm such a good chef. But then he realizes, wait a second. They need this, and I'm going to adapt to that. And that has really become the philosophy and the guiding principle of World Central Kitchen. I mean, their whole mission is to go into places and locations and start galvanizing the local community that knows how to feed their people. And they implement those systems to make sure that happens. That's important. I think really important.
0: You totally anticipated my question, which was going to be to talk about that scene, which I love. <laughs> And I mean, there's, I think, a whole other subtext there, too, which is he's in Puerto Rico. He's from Spain. There's a whole colonial past here. And he's very aware of these things. You know, he is not going to dictate to people how to do it. Another thing that I think we learn early on in the film is that in terms of your approach is There aren't going to be a whole bunch of sit-down interviews. In fact, there aren't any with celebrities. You know, this could have been very celebrity-driven. He's a famous guy. Everyone would want to be associated with him, I'm sure. And, you know, Ron decided not to go that direction.
1: Well, look, I think the guiding principle of this film was to try to live in these moments and episodes in World Central Kitchen's history and current day as best as we can. So with that idea in mind, I think there was this understanding that the people who we were going to talk to who were not in, let's say, Verite archive footage or current day COVID Verite footage would be people who were there and that we would have people like, you know, Sam and Nate and volunteers who were on the ground really fill in the gap for us as best as they could in Jose himself, obviously, or his family. So, I mean, we wanted this to be intimate. We wanted audiences to really feel that they were in these moments with Jose and World Central Kitchen. So to have extraneous voices just to, again, say perhaps what their experience may have been with the organization or how wonderful Jose is is not really of interest or really part of the thesis, I think, for the film that we were trying to make. And certainly Ron was.
0: A few observations about Jose from the film. One is he loves his numbers. He's constantly saying, we got 3,000 meals, There are <laughs> 100,000 food bags, there are yeah. X number of food all, trucks coming.
1: We all need benchmarks. <laughs> we, really, <laughs> we have them in our world too.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I found it Funny, you know, it's a light moment. It's also incredibly impressive, these numbers, but he really does seem focused on it. What's kind of the real meaning behind this from his point of view, do you think?
1: I don't know. It's interesting that you asked that because I don't think we really ever asked him about what do these numbers particularly mean to you, but I would say I think it's a wonderful motivator. I think if you're somebody who's volunteering for that organization and you're seeing a lot of Pain. You're seeing a lot of tragedy. Like we can't forget what the volunteers and the core World Central Kitchen team witness on a daily basis. Like they're witnessing people really struggle. And right now they've been in the Ukraine and in the countries surrounding essentially from the start of the conflict. So they're actually operating for the first time in an active conflict zone, which was never the situation before. And so they are seeing a lot of tragedy and suffering right now. So I think if you keep in mind how hard it is to do this work on a daily basis, I think it must feel incredibly rewarding to people. But at the same time, it's not an easy line of work. It's like being a medical professional or an emergency response worker, right? Which is essentially what World Central Kitchen has become. They've become an emergency response organization. I think to remind people you are making a difference, and if we just go a little bit more, we're going to have, you know, 5 million meals achieved. I think that must be really, like I said, motivating and comforting for people to keep that in mind, to have those goals, to keep like an eye on a prize as they're doing what's really difficult work.
0: They are for sure. And it just occurred to me that in a way, it's also a counterbalance to the incredible force of nature that we see and how utterly incomprehensible, it seems. Yes. And how could we ever stand up to something like that? And these big numbers are kind of his way of showing we can stand up to these incredible
1: forces I think of nature. that's absolutely correct. And to that end, they are currently, I think, serving like around 1.8, 1.9 million meals a day right now in Ukraine. In and around the surrounding region. I mean, they're well over a hundred million meals there. At it's this
0: mind-boggling, incredible. Yeah. Another thing I noticed about Jose is physical contact's very important to him. He's constantly reaching out to make contact with people. He touches their shoulder. He hugs them gives a fist bump, whatever it may be. I think you guys did a great job of finding those small moments.
1: Yeah. Again, I think it was important to humanize him. It was important to really show firsthand how he deals with these situations and how people respond to him. And I think that's also what makes Jose Jose. I think he really touches People, you know, both clearly emotionally, but he's not afraid to extend a hand to somebody who might need it, especially in those moments, which are very difficult for people.
0: He's also a real family man. And obviously, it pains him to be away from his family so often. But there are these great scenes with Jose, with his wife and his children, especially the scenes in the kitchen where they're Mm -hmm. cooking, just a pure delight to watch that. And very funny. Jose has three daughters. Ron has three daughters and a son. (laughs) (laughs) They must have shared some stories of fatherhood along the way.
1: Again, I wish Ron was here maybe (laughs) to express this. From what I know of Ron, having worked with him now and for his Imagine Entertainment and this Imagine Documentaries division for almost four years now, I think he is a wonderful family man. And I think he really cares, loves his family. Yes, he has four children. And I I would assume he could really identify with Jose in that respect. And I think those moments are really powerful as you're describing them. I think they provide a little levity, but I think they also really show what is important to that family, how they bond. And I think the idea that he is such a distinguished chef. is wonderful to see him sharing his passions with his daughters and also with his wife. And you can see that a lot of bonding happens probably in their family kitchen.
0: It's clear that the systems that have been worked out by World Central Kitchen are mirrored by the systems that the family has figured out for supporting dad to make sure he can do this work. Yes, And obviously his wife plays a key role in that. As
1: she his, is amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah, I loved her. There's a great quote from Jose where he says, I feel powerful and powerless at the same time. To me, that was kind of a key to understanding him and his mindset and his brilliance. He's learned to somehow feel comfortable in that contradiction and in that in-between space. Can you maybe shed some light on... Moments where you sort of felt like he was both of those things (laughs) simultaneously?
1: (laughs) Look, I think you see it in Puerto Rico. I think the whole Puerto Rico section, I mean, that was a very important moment, I think, in kind of the trajectory of World Central Kitchen. I think it was really the first natural disaster that he goes into with more of a systematic plan than he may have had before. I think he is incredibly successful at galvanizing the local restaurant community on the ground and being able to reach people who really need the help. But at the same time, he's clearly struggling with bureaucratic challenges from other relief organizations that are on the ground. Also, local skepticism about his motives, for being there, which I can only imagine was very difficult for him to have to respond to. So I think Puerto Rico is a really great example of that, where I'm sure he felt powerful and powerless at the same time, but he somehow balances that that juggling act very well. And maybe to what we were talking about earlier, it's part of what continues to just push him forward.
0: Yeah, and it's also part of the evolution of the organization. And I should say, I really love the fact that, in a way, this as a character study is almost like a Trojan horse. To investigate an organization and how it scales up, which if you pitch that to somebody, to a funder or broadcaster, they would probably throw you out of the room. But if you say you're making a film about Jose Andres, you're good to go. (laughs) Yes. Key part of the evolution of the organization is Hurricane Dorian, which devastated the Bahamas in 2019. Jose says the Bahamas is where everything came together. And there's this great quote, again, he's so quotable. He's so articulate and poetic. He says, the emergency has a way of speaking to you. You just have to listen. What I really liked about this sequence is it's an extended sequence and we really see step-by-step, how do they do it? So like they helicopter in, the place is just completely destroyed. There's this one kitchen left standing. They try to work with that kitchen, but Jose comes in and is like, you're kidding. This isn't going to work. So they have to take a left turn and try something else, always adapting, always trying things until they finally figure out what's going to work. Can you talk about sort of the pivotal role that this sequence plays in the evolution of the organization and in the film?
1: The way you described it again is so spot on. I think it was that moment for the organization where they can adapt and they can get it done. And you do see the nuts and bolts. You see the logistics laid out in a way that you haven't, previously in the film. And I think you also see the personality confrontations that can happen. You see it in that court scene in the film with Jose and the relief mission that is there to try to feed people, but they're trying to do it in an orderly way because any deviance from that can cause a lot of uproar and other kind of issues that could come up. So I think it's a very important moment or a sequence in the film. I think we also really understand the power and the impact of the local volunteers in the Bahamas. You see just the gentleness, the kindness that local volunteers can give back and provide to their own community in the Bahamas, which was incredibly important to us as a team, to Ron, and certainly to NETGEO as well because we didn't wanna make a film that was just about the people who were parachuting in and trying to help and save people, right? We wanted to make sure that we could highlight the local communities, and certainly those efforts from the people who are experiencing the disaster firsthand and in many cases have their own, you know, families affected and their houses and homes destroyed. And so I think the Bahamas is a very important turning point in the film. And I think, as you said, I think it's when it's crystallized for Jose and for the World Central Kitchen team that they can handle anything. They can parachute in on a helicopter, figure out where to set up shop and find that kitchen and find fuel and find supplies and galvanize local volunteers and do it in a way that would have tremendous broad impact to the islands. So it's a very important moment.
0: I did want to talk a little bit more in detail about that one scene that you alluded to. It's a great scene in which one of World Central Kitchen staffers, someone who works closely with Jose, is about to hand a sandwich to a woman, just not thinking. It's a very human gesture. And Jose steps in and just Cusses the guy out and even kind of pushes him away a little bit, explaining, you know, you can't do that because it essentially could create a riot. And he's right. It's not something you should do. You need to do these things in an orderly fashion, but he's wrong in how he handles it. And what's remarkable is that the woman that the guy's giving the sandwich to when Jose goes over to apologize to her, she says, don't apologize to me. You need to apologize to your friend over here, your staffer. And I think that took Jose aback that she did that. She called him on it. And then later to the camera, he tries to justify his behavior. And he says, I can't always be the nice guy. But all in all, I think it's a scene where we understand where he's coming from, but he's not always perfect. I am curious, like in the edit, when you came across this moment, how did you all feel about, okay, this is something we're going to put in the film and we need to figure out how best to do it?
1: Yeah, I think it was one of those moments that you couldn't not put in the film and make a truthful film. And I think it's correct and certainly true that it's a complex moment for Jose and perhaps it wasn't perfectly handled by him. But what I thought was also so incredibly important about the scene or the moment, the real moment, I shouldn't call it a scene, is really also as a viewer putting ourselves in the volunteers' shoes because I think Jose at this point in the Bahamas has been through this a few times, right? He has been in these situations. To your point, he knows what could happen, that a riot could occur if it just feels like a free-for-all and if there isn't sort of a systematic way to provide food to the people who are waiting on the port and who are in desperate need of it. And I think he just wants to control a situation so that doesn't happen. For the volunteer who maybe he raises his temper with a little bit, I think it must have been a very important learning moment for him too. And I think one, one is any compassionate, empathetic human being, viewer can relate to, which is it must be so hard for these volunteers not to just automatically give and hand out that sandwich. It must be so heartbreaking to experience what they're experiencing and what they're witnessing. So I kind of looked at it very multidimensional, that it was important because, yes, it, it humanizes Jose. It shows he's not perfect. It shows that there can be conflict and confrontation, but that it can also be diffused in a very civilized way. And that the person who is in need, obviously, is still receiving what they need and in a very caring way but that order is restored, I think it's also just about human nature and again, how very difficult it must be for those volunteers and certainly the people who are in need.
0: Absolutely. So the final part of the film does take place during COVID. World Central Kitchen seems everywhere all at once. They're in the Navajo Nation in New Mexico, Arizona. They're in New York City, Central Valley of California. And it's also during this period that we see Jose on Zoom calls with then-candidate Joe Biden. He makes a call to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And it seems like he's beginning to use the bank of goodwill that World Central Kitchen has built up, as well as its well-earned reputation in the relief community by this time, to put pressure on Congress to do more. And he also wants FEMA to do better as well. What do you think Jose wants the U.S. government to do to step up in a way that it hasn't with recent disasters.
1: I'm very glad that you point out this sort of moment or shift in sort of Jose's behavior or the way that he's communicating with people who are in very powerful positions, because I think one of the most interesting aspects of this film in terms of, let's say, the personal trajectory or evolution of Jose is that during the course of the film, You see Jose go from a very successful entrepreneur to using that entrepreneurial instinct and skills to jump into these disaster zones like he does in Haiti. Then you see him become an activist, ultimately, with World Central Kitchen. And interestingly, he still has his entrepreneurial spirit, but he almost becomes an activist first, right? His business almost feels like it's his side project, and that World Central Kitchen becomes his main focus. And then at that point that you just mentioned in COVID, you see him become an advocate. And I think that's really interesting, because I think that World Central Kitchen now does have a global kind of seat at the table. I think he is able to contact people in powerful positions. And I think what he has always realized, and certainly what World Central Kitchen has said almost repeatedly, is that in some ways, World Central Kitchen is a band-aid. They go in, they provide a service quickly, which is to feed people comforting real food, to sustain that for a period of time until they're back kind of in operation as a community. But then what happens after that? And I think World Central Kitchen has been shifting into what is after that and into more sort of food policy and global food relief policy. And even just in my conversations with members of the team, this experience in the Ukraine has been incredibly illuminating. One of the first things I heard when I saw members of World Central Kitchen at our film premiere who came back from the Ukraine, and then of course they were going right back, said there's a huge percentage, if not half, of the world's wheat supply comes out of the Ukraine. And that's what feeds Africa as a continent. And that was being destroyed, or the world was not going to have easy access to that food supply. So I think they are so well informed in the consequences of these certainly climate change disasters, but also man-made kind of conflicts now that they certainly are able to try to push forward an agenda that would hopefully be incredibly valuable to the global food system. So I think that's a bit where they're moving. I think they definitely are moving towards how can they help and implement policy that would really provide a system and change for people in the world. And how do you eradicate hunger, which is obviously one of the most important issues facing the world.
0: I think another really important lesson here is how you can use the entrepreneurial spirit and tools of entrepreneurism to cut through red tape. It's kind of a cliche, the government should be run more like a business. It shouldn't be run like any old business, but it sure could learn some entrepreneurial tricks. Yes. The other thing that the COVID period represents, and you alluded to this, is I think it's an integration of Jose's two lives, which kind of became separate. His restaurant life. In his world's central kitchen life and suddenly as a restaurateur he's faced with covid like all the other restaurant owners and he's got employees who are out of work or struggling so he comes up with this idea of turning his restaurants into community kitchens and he also helps mobilize other restaurant owners and chefs can you talk about how he's collaborated with other chefs in recent years
1: Yeah, I think as you're describing, COVID is a great example of that. I think he took what was a massive crisis for the restaurant industry and turned it into, as you said, a mobilization, turned it into a useful enterprise to help solve a problem that communities were facing in the COVID moment. And I think he has incredibly successful relationships with chefs around the world, certainly some who are pretty well known. And I think he has called on the chefs and the restaurant world to aid and assist. And I think from the several conversations I've had with people in the restaurant world, they're quite energized by it. And I think industries want to get back. And I think before that, maybe there wasn't so much of a real like solid system for how the restaurant industry could do that in a way that would have major impact.
0: We talked about the opening scene. I want to talk about the final scene. (laughs) We love
1: that final scene. Oh,
0: good. Yes. I'll keep this brief. To summarize for people, it takes place in Houston during the pandemic. Jose's driving around in another truck and he meets up with this young boy. What can you tell us about this scene?
1: Again, you couldn't script a better scene. Ron Howard was thrilled (laughs) about that. It's one of those great verite moments. And I personally will always be just passionate and and a fan of verite filmmaking. It's my first love with documentary filmmaking. It's my favorite technique. And I think that that scene or that moment, again, because it's real life, is one of the best verite moments you could wish for as a producer or as a director. And I think much like the opening of the film, we find Jose back in action, but we see him, you know, not at the end of a journey, but you see him really in a moment where it's COVID. He's been on the road for a while. He hasn't been home He's having a conversation with his family. They're asking when he's getting home. He's realizing it's his anniversary with his wife. He understands probably intellectually and emotionally that he has responsibilities there and obligations that he wants to be able to fulfill. But at the same time, he's still on the mission. And what's wonderful, too, is you see a little boy who he encounters who is helping point Jose and Jose's team towards people who need food, who need help. And he's sending them down the street and he's pointing out houses. So it's just one of those wonderful moments and reminders that it's never too early to start as a volunteer and that children are really aware and children wanna be helpful too. And of course there's a wonderful interaction with Jose with him, but then Jose's back in the car And he's talking about how he's getting a little old to be running around. And you can tell he's tired. And again, his family is probably weighing on him. And just as he's trying to figure out where he's going to go next, he tries to start the car again and he's out of gas. And he doesn't realize he's been driving for almost four hours with his gas light on. So what does he do? He leans back and he lights lights up a cigar again. And we end. And you know, as a viewer, you just get the sense like this is his life and he's going to go on and the mission will go on. And again, he runs until he's empty and then he will recharge and he will restart and he will keep going. And so will World Central Kitchen. So it just was one of those perfect, perfect, perfect documentary moments that you wish for as a filmmaker.
0: And as a viewer. And um- as a viewer. And was that one that you guys shot yourself? Yes. Well done. Last question is, in terms of World Central Kitchen's evolution, I just heard, I think, through a tweet from Jose, actually, and to listeners out there, if you don't follow Jose Andres on Twitter, you should, because it's a great way to stay informed. He announced that Nate Mook is leaving World Central Kitchen as CEO. Obviously, Nate's in the film, means a lot to the organization and to Jose personally. And this is going to be another key pivot point for the organization. How do you think they're going to evolve moving forward?
1: I'm sure that they are strategizing how they evolve and they have become a well-funded nonprofit at this point. And Nate, obviously, was pivotal to that growth, to that evolution. I suspect that they have a plan in place and World Central Kitchen will continue to thrive and hopefully Nate will too and whatever he does next.
0: Finally, maybe an obvious answer, but how can people help?
1: Oh my gosh follow Jose on on Twitter, on Instagram, World Central Kitchen. You can go to wck.org. There's obviously several ways that you can get involved, whether it's volunteering or donating, but they are out there wholeheartedly, full force on social media, and they accept all donations and volunteers.
0: Thank you. And in closing, have you ever eaten at one of Jose's restaurants?
1: (laughs) I have.
0: Which one or one's?
1: Oh, I had the pleasure of eating at Little Spain here in New York City. I have to mention our incredible partners in that Geo Documentary Films and Disney Plus and Hulu, where the film is also streaming. We had a a lovely premiere party in New York. And we had the after party at Little Spain. And I also had the pleasure of going to his restaurant in Orlando. So those of you out there who have to take your children to Disney World, the best restaurant in Orlando is Jose (laughs) Andres.
0: Sure it is. I've had the good fortune of eating at Haleo, which is, it's in the film, his flagship restaurant in DC. What I didn't realize is that haleo, I just looked it up, means fuss or commotion. (laughs)
1: Isn't that perfect for Jose?
0: It is perfect. And I just wanted to say that, you know, it's also perfect for what you and your team and Ron and Imagine documentaries are doing. You're creating the best kind of commotion and fuss with your wonderful films. And just want to congratulate you on We Feed People. Best of luck with the Emmys. And thank you so much for talking to us.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and really appreciate it.
0: I know you and your team at Imagine have many things going on, but If there's one project you'd like to mention that's the thing that's up next for you, we'd love to hear what it is.
1: Oh, we have quite a few films that are up next. One that I definitely have to mention, because it will be out in the world this fall, is a documentary on Louis Armstrong that is directed by the great Sasha Jenkins that will be coming to Apple TV+. This
0: fall. Wonderful. So I'm really, January. really
1: excited about that one.
0: That yeah. sounds terrific. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Do You have a recommendation for a documentary hidden gem?
1: I don't know if it's such a hidden gem because it's certainly got a lot of publicity, but the one that I've been really impressed with is Nelvani And Daniel Rohrer, who's the director, we had worked with him on his first documentary called Once Were Brothers, which was about the band and Robbie Robertson. But I found that film just so compelling really important in terms of exposing again just how instrumental opposition to fascist regimes can be and i thought it was just incredibly intrepid but there's one that i'm jealous i'm not involved in it's probably (laughs) nalvani